On to the task at hand of preaching. We are in a sermon series called The Waters in Which We Swim, Cultural Dogmas and Gospel Responses. And we use that word dogma intentionally. That there is an ideology, that there is a belief system present in our culture to live a certain way, think a certain way, feel a certain way, act a certain way. There are cultural dogmas. They would never say that. They wouldn't use that kind of language, but there are ideologies and beliefs in our culture, and we are looking at those and examining those. And there are cases where we will acknowledge some legitimacy, but we will bring those dogmas before the scriptures and examine them in light of the gospel. And as is true with each of these, there are times where we need to refine and we need to redeem some of what is being thought of in our culture to bring them into alignment. And and here's the deal, though. These are the waters in which we swim. Those of you who have were born and raised in the States, you've swam, has have had swum in these waters uh, for years. I got a thumbs up on that grammar. Don't pay attention to grammar. That would be bad for me. Um, But we've, we've been in these waters for most of our lives, if not all of our lives, and we might actually, because of that, have some unawareness, a a lack of attention on how these ideologies, how these dogmas have impacted us. And that's where we want to, and I'm asking, will you be open to God's word? Will you be open to the Spirit this morning? And will you actually ask God and trust God to speak to you to impress upon you something, some point from today that you might walk away with it going, wow, God, how might you call me to live differently in light of what I just heard, in light of what your word says and what a prompting that your spirit gave me? How might I live differently than the world is calling me to live? And so that's kind of the hope. Last week, we looked at the happiness narrative. Uh, I encourage you to go online and listen to that if you did not have the opportunity to be here. But I ended kind of this, this dogma of you deserve to be happy by reminding us of this lyric, right? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus' name. Happiness is going to come, and happiness is going to go. And there are going to be these frames that are sweet, And that cause in us a desire to make them much longer frames or even make a life out of that frame, and you just can't. Instead, we need to wholly lean on Jesus' name. This week, we are looking at the cultural dogma of freedom. You have the right to life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. So this dogma sounds a little bit like live however you want with the qualifier as long as you don't hurt anyone else. Now, just like happiness last week, I don't know that we fully understand this idea of what does hurting someone else mean? Are we the best judges of what does or doesn't hurt someone else? But anyhow, that is often how it is framed, of live however you want. You do you. And that's also going to bleed into next week where Steve's going to talk about the identity narrative. Just be yourself. Don't let anybody tell you how to live. You've got to be yourself. This one more on the freedom side of it. One of the ways that this dogma comes against Christianity specifically is they perceive some rules, some restrictions, some limitations within the Christian message. And so Christianity becomes a straitjacket. You don't get to do anything. There's no freedom in Christianity, as many times how it is perceived. 
This also sounds like uh, Christians don't have freedom to think for themselves. Maybe you had that perception before coming into church. You're just not able to think for yourself. Another one, each person should determine truth for him or herself. It's not just freedom to think, but you should have freedom to determine meaning and purpose. What life is all about. How we should live. You should get to determine that. Another one, Christianity limits personal growth because it constrains our freedom to choose our own beliefs and practices. And, and I think the cultural climate has really cooled toward Christianity. It used to be just kind of dismissed maybe, oh, not that big a deal, and then all of a sudden kind of went into the category of it's a nuisance, it's kind of annoying, it's frustrating, and now you actually hear language where it is harmful. That the culture is saying that your language is judgmental, that the language of the Bible or of Christians is hateful, being regarded as hate speech in some places. Tim Keller, in his book Reason for God, writes about this. He says, in this view, freedom means that there is no overarching purpose for which we were created. If there were, we would be obligated to conform to it and to fulfill it, and that is limiting. True freedom is freedom to create your own meaning and purpose. True freedom, with kind of in quotes, with an asterisk. That's how our culture believes freedom comes about. But I really want to encourage us to dive into the word, to, to kind of bore in or, or drill into God's word. What does God's word have to say about this? I think it's important. I think it's important to speak with intelligence to our culture about this area, about this topic. You're having conversations likely in your classrooms, in your offices, with roommates around this topic. In one case, in one particular book, in our Old Testament, we see the people living how they wanted, determining their own meaning and purpose. If you go to the book of Judges, okay, there's a phrase that gets thrown around. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Found it in chapter 17, find it in chapter 21. In those days of this nation, there was no king. Not only are they speaking kind of politically from a governmental level, but it's actually, God says, they're not just rejecting some sort of earthly leader, they're actually rejecting me as their king. So this earthly rejection of a king or not having a king is symbolic of them and their treatment of me, that they don't want authority. They don't want anybody over them. They want to live life how they believe it is best to be lived. Now, where does, what does the Bible say after these statements? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. When things are breaking out in a Hope staff meeting, John, John Neal typically will be the one that throws up his hands and says, do whatever's right in your own eyes, <laughs> right? And, and that's actually a word, that's an indictment. <laughs> You're living however you want, with no rules or restrictions, with no authority, no leadership. You're doing what you believe is best. Now, if you actually read this in context, it is a harrowing account of sin. 
and of brokenness. You will read stories about mistreatment, abuse, murder in the book of Judges that you would never want to read. Harrowing stuff in our Bibles that show the reality of living however you want, exercising freedom however you want, not honoring a king, not honoring any type of authority. This is what spirals downward into evil, darkness, and death. That's, that's where we go as a culture and as a people. Now, you might hear that and think, okay, the Bible then must not speak of freedom. It must not speak any message or any truth regarding freedom. That's not true. Our Bible does speak of freedom. Let me direct you now to a couple passages that speak of God's call to freedom. 1 Peter 2. So one of the disciples, Peter, writes this letter to the church and says, live as free people. That sounds like a message of freedom, right? Live as free people. The Apostle Paul also writes a letter to a church, the churches of Galatia, and in that he says, uh, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So we need to hear that first. Before we start adding anything to it, there is a message of freedom. So with regard to culture, and as we engage other people, and we talk about freedom, we can say, yeah, freedom, great thing. God affirms freedom. There is a message within Christianity that has, as part of it, freedom. You were called to be free. Live as free people. But as Tim Keller says here, the Bible challenges contemporary Western culture's narrative of individual freedom as the only way to be happy. So when we say the Bible calls you to freedom, that freedom is qualified differently than our culture. Our culture uses that to say, you get to decide how best to use that freedom. You get to decide for yourself how you want to live, how you want to act, how you want to think. Yeah, 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 just don't hurt anybody. That might be the only qualifier they offer up. What qualifiers does the Bible offer up in regard to freedom? Let's go back to these same passages. 1 Peter 2, verse 16. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Instead, live as God's slaves or God's servants. So live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. There's an insinuation here that freedom, if unchecked, can lead astray, can lead to a cover-up for evil. Let's go back to the Galatians 5 passage. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So each of these passages serve as warnings to us in the church, okay? God calls you to be free, to have a freedom, and yet to recognize that that freedom is going to come into your heart and your mind, come into your life, and with that, your pain, your brokenness, your sinfulness. And that freedom can get misconstrued that freedom can actually turn back onto itself as selfishness, self-centeredness, rather than our freedom being cast outside to love, to serve, to give, 
So it's not this idea that culture offers up as, hey, use it however you want, as long as you don't hurt someone. There's actually a different qualification here. In your freedom, will you use that to love rather than use it for your own purposes, use it for, as a cover for evil? About this, Tim Keller says, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions. Hear that. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as much as it is finding the right ones, the liberating constrictions. Those that fit with the reality of our nature and the world produce greater power and scope for our abilities and a deeper joy and fulfillment. Experimentation, risk, and making mistakes bring growth only if, over time, they show us our limits as well as our abilities. If we only grow intellectually, vocationally, and physically through judicious constraints, why? Why would it not also be true for spiritual and moral growth? The popular concept that we should each determine our own morality is based on the belief that the spiritual realm is nothing at all like the rest of the world. Does anyone really believe that? So what is Tim Keller saying here? And what is the Bible saying? There are constrictions, restrictions that come with freedom that are worthwhile, that are beneficial. Let's just walk through the examples he gives. What would an example be of, of an intellectual restriction? Okay? Because we can, with a measure of legitimacy, say, you know what? You're free to attend whatever college or university you want. You're free to attend Harvard. Now, that person who's just been given that charge of freedom comes to you and says, hey, I took my ACT, I got a 14. Okay? Now, it doesn't diminish the charge of freedom, right? You're free. But how do we want to counsel? How do we want to coach that person? It seems like there could be a benefit to directing that person in a different route. That is going to be tremendously difficult. Now, there are people that get that charge, go through all the difficulty, and still go to Harvard because it's just so much their passion or desire. But there is a place to say, hey, maybe Harvard's not your place. You're free to, but maybe we could look elsewhere. Let's talk about vocationally. I'm a sports guy, I love sports, okay? If you're 6'10", 275, vocationally, NBA is your way to go. Be a basketball player. Make a lot of money, okay? There are a lot of guys sitting on a bench in the NBA making millions, and they go in every once in a while and get a couple rebounds because they're 6'10", 275. You can do that, right? Now, if you come up to me and say, hey, am I free? Like, is it available to me to play in the NBA? The answer is yes. But if you're five foot nothing, 100 and nothing, vocationally, that might not be your best pursuit. There might be a constriction, a restriction based on just your size. That's going to make it tremendously difficult. Now, there are people, rare circumstances, where somebody has that opportunity as somebody who's shorter, smaller, but it's rare. What about physically? Now, this is where YouTube is so helpful, so educational for us, right? 
Because so much, there's like a percent, high percentage of videos on YouTube that are there to demonstrate you have physical limitations. <laughs> right? Can I jump from the roof of this building to the roof of that building? Am I free to do that? You're free to do that. And then they try. And then you go, well, maybe you shouldn't have exercised your freedom in that way. Maybe, maybe God did not make you a long jumper. Um, and so you should keep your feet on the ground. So in the midst of this, okay, there's freedom. And yet if we just abandon all restrictions, this idea that there are no limitations then, there's a measure of foolishness which enters in. And if it's true in those areas, why do we think it's any less true in the spiritual realm? Why do we think that absolute freedom comes with casting off any restrictions, any limitations, as being wise or beneficial? Let's think of a couple of corporate examples, ones that hopefully we can identify with. Um, imagine if we were to take this line of thinking and apply it to your commute home, okay? So you get into a traffic jam, and let's just imagine for the sake of argument, it looks like this picture. I hope it doesn't, because <laughs> nobody in that picture is moving anytime soon. But imagine if you felt like you had the right of way. It was your turn, and you're close enough to this person who's in your way to say, hey, my turn, it's my turn, you should yield to me. And their response was, I'm free to think for myself. Your truth regarding driving is not my truth. I'm determining my own truth right now, right? Without any sort of overall authority, there's a deterioration into chaos. This next one might hit a little too close to home for you teachers, right? Do you want to give your students absolute freedom with no constrictions, no limitations, just free? No, right? I just think of the person in there, you know, let's imagine that just like, you know what? I'm free to do what I want as long as I'm not hurting anybody else. And this person in the foreground, they, they kind of look like they're paired off, right? They have a desk next to their classmate there and they're, imagine one of those two is tapping their pencil, right? And from their vantage point, I'm not hurting anybody, but their classmate right next to them is being driven nuts, right? Who gets to decide whether this is actually hurtful and harmful and detrimental to the other person? Is it the person that hears the tapping? Is it the person who does the tapping? Or is it not the teacher gets to decide? One of the things that I loved about second grade was I had authority. I had freedom to organize my desk. You guys... Anybody have that joy of like you open up the desk and you're like, I got my notebooks here, I got my folders there, I'm gonna keep my pens and markers over there, erasers there, right? But that's all I was given as far as freedom. Like you, you get this, you know, two feet by 18 inches, that's where you get to exercise your freedom. Now, I wanna start 
asking us to consider, how does this impact your life, our life? Because it's, it's easy to kind of throw it out there in, in kind of a corporate world or a classroom setting, kind of laugh at, but how does this come to impact our lives? This idea of freedom. How does this impact life personally? And I'm asking you to consider whether or not you are the best arbiter or decider of truth, of health, of goodness. Because you have feelings, because you have bias, because you have sin, are we in best position to decide what is good, what is healthy, what is noble, what is honorable? To decide how best to use our freedom. Let me give you an example. Now this likely is an example that might feel absurd to some of you, okay? But I was reading through uh, New York Times. I get the little uh, Daily Digest, and, and I read this. This is a headline. I'm talking to my fiancé about my new girlfriend. After enjoying an open relationship, a couple de- decides to marry. But why must marriage require sexual fidelity? So that's the headline. But that line of thinking and that relational dynamic comes about why. Where does that come from? It comes from this narrative that we're free to decide about what relationships look like. There is no authority that says good, bad, healthy, unhealthy. And this person's perception is, I'm not hurting anyone. They have freedom to decide how to live, how to marry, and what that's going to look like. So I don't know that this person's perception of what is healthy, unhealthy, or hurtful or not gets to be the one that decides. It is, as Tim Keller points out, that true freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as it is finding the right ones. Now, for the Christian, this is not where I direct you. If you're, if you're not a believer, I... I, I you, you have to start with Christ. If you're new to Christianity, new to the Bible, you have to start with Christ. Getting to know him in his claims. To know him in his love. To know him as Savior, as the one who died for you. To express to you the infinite love of God. You start there. But as you enter into that relationship and God calls you to lay down some freedoms, you do so out of relationship and joy not because you feel like God's holding something back from you. And that's when, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we come to Romans 6, which is so instrumental for us learning about God's will and God's ways for us. Let me read from Romans chapter 6. It says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, so that verse right there communicates you're a follower of Christ. You're no longer under law, a, a, a litigious amount of rules that I need to live up to. No, no, no. Christ fulfilled law so that we can enter into a relationship with God under grace. Okay, so we're in a relationship with him. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? What's that saying? We got freedom to live however we want, right? 
By no means, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, as obedient servants, right? God is our master, we're a follower. You are then slaves of the one to whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And so I want us to hear that. That there is freedom that comes through being in a relationship with God through grace, but that comes with a different type of limitations, restrictions, under the banner of relationship. And so it's not we have to, but we are willing to. Why? Because God has done so much for us. We are freed from sin and freed to do righteousness. It continues on. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, and where'd that lead? Ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin, and you become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Bible depicts this idea of living for yourself. Living in that kind of freedom leads to ever-increasing wickedness. But if you're freed from that, and you're freed to follow Christ, there is a domino effect of living for his life, his holiness. And ultimately, the end of this journey is eternal life. And so I want to ask you to consider what have you been freed from that you might be free to do something else. This passage speaks of being freed from sin and death and wickedness that we might be free to offer ourselves in righteousness to God, free to become a slave of his, free to pursue eternal life. Now, how does this impact life in the church? Gonna get a little bit dicey up in here. Because um, this impacts life in community. It impacts life in the church. I'm free to think for myself. I'm free to do as I see fit. Your truth is not my truth. Your way of doing church is not my way of doing church. Now, I love y'all. You're never gonna come and say those words to me. But you might think them, and you might act in accordance with that line of thinking. Let me, give, let me start with a couple funny examples. Ease into this, all right? So, we have the person that comes up and does the welcome, and then we say, hey, why don't you turn and meet somebody around you, right? So when the pastor tells you to turn and greet your neighbor, but you're an introvert, <laughs> I will not turn, right? You're just like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. It's awkward. It's difficult. My personality is not given to that, which I totally can understand. Uh, 
I can sympathize with. I'm an extrovert, so I can't fully understand what it means to be an introvert and be told to meet someone new. But there's struggle, there's challenge in that, right? I don't wanna do that. There's nothing in the Bible that says I have to do that. So I'm not gonna do that. Some of you so identify with this, but it doesn't impact you. Why? Because you're on the worship team. I only joined the worship team to avoid the greet those around you time. <laughs> By the way, there's auditions coming up. Uh, so if you're looking to avoid that get to know you time. But let me just ask, just spiritually speaking, are we willing to just acknowledge that some of our culture's thinking impacts us and impacts our relationship with the church, such as, you might think it doesn't hurt anyone if you sit in the pew and don't talk to anyone. It doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't hurt anyone if I don't serve or participate. Now, if the church is like a human body, that is effectively saying it doesn't impact the body if my hand doesn't do anything. It's like, no, I I think it does impact the rest of your body. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I'm actually the appendix to the church, so <laughs> I can operate inside the body, outside the body. I don't think that's true. It doesn't hurt anyone if I sin. It doesn't hurt. This is just my struggle. This is my issue. It doesn't hurt people out there. Yes, it does. Maybe not immediately. But it does, it will. It doesn't hurt anyone if I don't give to the church. If I don't share materially with the church. It doesn't hurt anyone if I don't go to that event. It doesn't hurt anyone if I don't go to small group. These are, you know, as I got together with these this cohort this summer, these are some of the examples that they're bringing forth, just things that they've seen in their spheres. And it's not a what's wrong with that person, it's I miss them. They have something to offer, they have something to share, they have something to give. Small group is different because they're there. Natty shared this quote, I think it was Natty. If you were in that cohort group and I gave her the, the honor of this quote, and you actually said it. I, I'm sorry. Uh, she said, there's a big difference between not hurting people and actually laying down preference, time, etc., to truly love and serve one another. That's where Christianity diverges from our culture. They say, hey, use your freedom, just don't hurt anyone. And she says, no, no, no. We're called to use our freedom in love. That's very different than just not hurting anybody. That's actually doing something drastically different putting yourself out there, using your freedom to serve, to care for, to move towards someone else. I don't often try to highlight my wife and what, what she does for, for good. I, I don't know. There's a weird dynamic of, hey, here's my family. Here's my boys. Here, you know. Um, but her example with Using free time challenges me, convicts me. Because <laughs> when there's an open spot on the calendar, I'm just like, yes. 
me, right? That, that's, that's what 40 years of swimming in these waters gets me. I got an open Saturday. Yes. What do I want to do with my Saturday? Me. Saturday. Mine. Oh. oh, I love you, Saturday. You're mine. These are the times where she will often come to me and say, hey, who should we invite over? Yeah, yeah, we should be hospitable to people. Yeah, of course. That's what I was thinking, yeah. But she's phenomenal at this. There's this idea. We have freedom of time. We have a space where we can invite people over. and We're actually con- trying to connect to these, these families that we do life with and do baseball and do sports. And just this past week, one of the guys texts me and says, wow, you guys, you just, you just open up your doors to those kids all the time and just thank you for that example. We're... we're we're going to try to make our house more, more hospital, hospitable and we want to you know, be able to reciprocate. And it's like, that's not the point. That's not why we do it, so that they'd reciprocate. But just that's what registers to him. Just like, wow, you guys, you just open up your house to these kids. To which many times when I get a message like that, I text back, I didn't know that. I'm at work. I did, right? But that's... Jill seeing an opportunity to invite people over, to let kids come into our house. How do you look at your freedom? Is it an opportunity to serve and to love and to lay down your preference? Or is it to use it for self? Well, I'm not hurting anyone. As we should in the, in the church, I, I want to direct our attention to how Jesus exercised his, uh, exercised his freedom. Is this, this is foundational, right? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, okay? So I, if there was a way to live with absolute freedom, he had it. He had all authority in heaven and earth. And look what John 10 says. The reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. With all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus lays down his life. He does not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto. Instead, he loves, he serves, he gives. It's in this light that love is viewed as the most liberating Freedom loss of all. Love for other. Giving up freedoms that you might love others. Before I pray, I want to share this note. I'm going to let an eight-year-old preach to you for a second. This is from Ian Johnson. He, he wrote this to me in case I ever needed preaching ideas. I don't know if he had sat through some messages and felt like... <laughs> Just in case might need some help. So be be processed. Spirit, speak to us, okay? About this idea. He he writes, For Jesus has died on the cross and taken away all our sins. 
So why, he asks. Just why are you disobeying God? For God is the almighty God and is trustworthy. So you should believe in God and trust in him and obey him all your life. Let's pray together. God, my hope is that through your word, you are speaking to your people. That you are teaching us about what true freedom looks like. It is not this conception of absolute freedom that our culture offers, but rather something much more liberating, something much more compelling, God. Following after Christ, laying down our lives in similar fashion. There, God, there is freedom for us. I pray for each person in this room, some who have not bent their knee to Christ. Some might be grasping their own personal freedom to this day, to their detriment, God. Allow them to loosen the grasp. Allow them to trust you. Allow them to follow you. And God, I pray for those who have made the decision to follow you, but yet are tempted, attempted, uh, attempted to live however they want, to use their freedom as they see fit, to live in disobedience to your word and to your leading. God, will you confront them? Will you correct them this morning? Let us return, God, to seeking after you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.